one of the first things the devil will try to steal and destroy is your identity. And even if you successfully fight him off, he'll come back and again try to steal and destroy your identity. Because he is aware that if you find out who you are, what you have, and what you can do, you will wreak havoc on his kingdom of darkness. Hey, this is Kingdom Increase with Amanda Hall. I'm Amanda Hall, wife to Rodney, mom to Cecily, and pastor at Kingdom Increase Church in Jerseyville, Illinois. Hallelujah. We are hitting life's issues with heaven's perspective. And today's subject is really, um, you know, obviously much needed in the world. Uh, people are having such identity crisis, but even in the church, and I believe it's always been the, re the reality in the church is who we are, right? Who are you? Who are you? If you're, you know, let's say 16, depending on, you know, um, maybe 18, you wait to get your driver's license. So you're 18 in the United States of America. You have a driver's license. You take it out, right? It has a picture of you on it. It states your date of birth, your eye color, your height, your weight, your address, and even if you wear corrective lenses. But all of these things that it states, and even your picture, those things are subject to change. Except your date of birth, but your date of birth can be falsified, right? People do it all the time. So this is our ID. This is our what we use even as a federal ID in, in our nation. It is one of the... Um, uh, allowable IDs we can use like to board planes and, and, and things like that. So this is our idea. It, it states uh, who we are to the point of what they think is important. But as believers, we have a more sure description of our identity, of our identity and that is the word of God. And we ought to acquaint ourselves with ourselves, Right? We need to get a really good look at who we are. And the only way to do that is to really get into the Word of God. We have to get into the Word of God and we've got to see who we are. We've got to understand what we have. And we need to find out what it is we can do. Because who we are is so important. It's not just important for us. This is, you know, here, here's the thing. Many times I think people don't, don't, don't grab a hold of this. They think, well, you know, all this teaching, it's so selfish. No, actually it's not. Because when we recognize who we are, what we have and what we can do, then we realize that God has equipped us, called us, gifted us and anointed us and appointed us to go out and help others. <laughs> Amen. So there's nothing selfish about it. And, and like I said in the introduction, the thing is, if you look in Matthew chapter 4, after Jesus had been water baptized by John the Baptist in the Jordan, and then the Holy Spirit comes upon him, and the Spirit of God leads him into the wilderness for 40 days of fasting and prayer and temptation. In verse 3 of Matthew 4, it says, During that time the devil came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, 
See, the very first question that the devil gave Jesus was a question of his identity. The very first thing he came to try to, um, what I want to take Jesus's confidence, I guess, in who he is. If you are the son of God, then tell these stones to become loaves of bread. But Jesus told him, no, the scriptures say people do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. So Jesus successfully fights off this attack of the enemy to destroy his identity. But then look, the enemy comes right back. Then the devil took him to the holy city, Jerusalem, to the highest point of the temple and said, if you are the son of God, jump off, right? So the very next day he comes at him again, hits him, bombards him again with, if you are the son of God, again, Jesus is able to successfully combat the devil's attempt to steal Jesus's identity with the word of God again. The third time he doesn't say if you are, right? The, the third time he comes at him wanting his worship, wanting Jesus to worship him. And so we have to understand, and I know for myself personally, that even when I win great victories, and, and I don't think this is necessarily the case for everybody, because the one thing is, is the devil is really good at being the devil. <laughs> he's not dumb at his job, right? He's, he's very good at his schemes, his wiles, his devices, and he knows what he's doing. He doesn't have any new tricks, but he's really good at what he does. And many times he'll, he actually knows us better than, than we know ourselves, And he knows where he can trip us up, um, where he can hold us back where he can get us to begin to question ourselves is, you know, are, am I, am I supposed to be doing this? Am I in the perfect will of God? Is this really what God's told me to do? Am I following the Lord? Am I going to be a failure? Can I do this? Am I going to be successful? I just don't think, you know, and, and that's what, that's where he'll, he'll, he'll get us a lot of times. And, and so I believe the identity question for believers is huge for every believer personally it just manifests itself in different ways. A lot of times because of our calling, what specific work the Lord has called us to do um, and the gifts that, that he's given us. And for some of us, I think, and, and I'm, I'll just be straight honest, this has been one of the things that I've come up against a multitude of times in my adult life. And in particular, once I knew God had called me to the ministry, to the ministry I have off and on had to renew my mind and many times did not do it at, at a rate that I should have. I did, was not diligent enough in fighting the good fight of faith. And therefore it took me longer to get to where I needed to be to do what I was supposed to be doing because I took way too long questioning. Is this really what God's called me to do? Am I really equipped to do this? Nobody else seems to think that I am, right? And so I'm, I'm, I'm giving you some personal experience here because you may not be called to ministry, but maybe it's something else. And maybe the, you know, in your work, maybe what you do, you have a real passion for it. You have a gift for it. And you know, that's where God wants you to be. But people question, maybe people don't like you. People try to, to make you doubt yourself and your ability or your skill, or, you know, that is life. That's what people 
do. When people are insecure, then they want to try to make everybody else insecure too, right? And it all comes straight from the pits of hell. But I'm telling you, as believers, we we have a very sure description of our identity and that identity is found in the word of God. And it's important that we acquaint ourselves with ourselves. We need to take the needed time. I think this is one of, you know, personally, you know, as a pastor, I'm always after these years, I, I, I see in many ways where I've failed in the ministry, um, you know, uh, and, and the things I should have done better, but along the way, that's you, you realize what you should have done better, how you could have done better and, and what, what's going to help people the most. And I think for new Christians, one of the most important things um, for them is to find out who they are. What has Jesus actually done um, for me, right? On my last podcast, I said, what, what are you missing? And, and I talked about that part. Many, many Christians just never even experience have a full experience of their salvation because they don't actually know what Jesus accomplished on in his death and the cross and in his resurrection. And so, and all of that's tied into who you are. And when we really, really, really take a good look at who we are in the word of God, and we can finally see who we are, we'll actually start acting like who we are. And, and this is the reality of, of being um, a Christian. The re- reason many times Christians don't <laughs> act like they should is because they actually don't know who they are. But when we take a really good look at who we are in the word and we get this revelation that that's us through Christ, then we'll actually start acting like who we are. Our identity will become very apparent in the way we live and what we do, how we talk, how we dress, who we hang with, what we acquire, how we spend our money, how we spend our time. Like it becomes very, very apparent. I, I don't know. There's an old movie that you know I've watched with, with our daughter when, when she was home and many times we watched the movie. There was actually two of them called Princess Diaries, and it had, I think the girl's name was Anne Hathaway, but she wouldn't be, she'd be a lot older now. And, um, oh, what, what was that gal's name from The Sound of Music? Julie Andrews. And so, long story short, if you've never seen the movie, Anne Hathaway's raised in San Francisco by her mother, who's very artsy, creative kind, kind of person. And... Um, she never had met her father, though her father did send her like birthday gifts, Christmas gifts, things like that, but she didn't really know anything about him. Well, her dad ends up dying, this and everything else. So her grandmother comes over. Well, her grandmother happens to be a queen, but they need a bloodline person to, to take the throne in their small European nation. So come to find out, this girl finds out she is actually a princess, all right, and is next in line to be a queen for this, this country, Okay. Well, she didn't know that. She didn't live like a princess. She didn't live like a royal. They they lived in a converted um, firehouse, right? And her, like I said, her mom was was a painter, an artist. So they lived very artsy, like very funky, and all that. Didn't look anything like royal. But that didn't mean that she wasn't. She just didn't know that she was royal, 
right? She didn't know that she had royal bloodline. Now her mom actually did know, but her parents had separated before she was born because her mom was like, I just could not live that life. But she never told the girl because her and her father, the girl's father had agreed that they would just leave that undone because they didn't want to bridle the girl with, with the tension of royalty, right? But it didn't mean that she wasn't royal. She still had the royal blood in her. She just didn't know it. But once she found out that she was actually born royal, she had to learn a whole new way of life. And in Christ, we are royal. We are royalty. We are kings and priests unto our God. And so there's a whole new way of life we've got to learn. And the only way to learn it is to commune with God and and, and the best way to commune with God is through his word, right? It lays it out. It's like a mirror that we look into and see who we are, what we have, and what we can do. I want to read um, Romans chapter 6. I'm going to read the whole, the whole chapter. It's, it's not super long, so you, you can bear with me here for, for a few minutes. But I think it's important because... I think too many times, kind of like what I was saying in my last podcast, what are you missing? Christians live below who they are because they don't realize what bloodline they have now. They're still attached to their natural family's bloodline. Well, that, that, that was passed down, you know, from my great grandfather to my grandfather, to my father, to me or whatever. They don't realize you've got the, I mean, you've got a whole new DNA running through your veins now, right? The blood of Jesus trumps every natural bloodline that you have. You're a whole new creature. He that be in Christ is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. I think it's time that we acquaint ourselves with ourselves and, and, and find out, take a really good look at who we are in the word of God. So I'm going to read Romans chapter 6. Well, then, should we keep on sinning so that God can show us more and more of his wonderful grace? Of course not. Since we have died to sin, how can we continue to live in it? Or have you forgotten that when we were joined with Christ Jesus in baptism, we joined him in his death? For we died and were buried with Christ by baptism. And just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we also may live new lives. Since we have been united with him in his death, we will also be raised to life as he was. We know that our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ so that sin might lose its power in our lives. We are no longer slaves to sin. For when we died with Christ, we were set free from the power of sin. And since we died with Christ, we know we will also live with him. We are sure of this because Christ was raised from the dead and he will never die again. Death no longer has any power over him. When he died, he died once to break the power of sin. But now that he lives, he lives for the glory of God. So you also should consider yourselves to be dead to the power of sin and alive to God 
through Christ Jesus. Do not let sin control the way you live. Do not give in to sinful desires. Do not let any part of your body become an instrument of evil to serve sin. Instead, give yourselves completely to God. For you were dead, but now you have new life. So use your whole body as an instrument to do what is right for the glory of God. Sin is no longer your master, for you no longer live under the requirements of the law. Instead, you live under the freedom of God's grace. Well then, since God's grace has set us free from the law, does that mean we can go on sinning? Of course not. Don't you realize that you become the slave of whatever you choose to obey? You can be a slave to sin, which leads to death, or you can choose to obey God, which leads to righteous living. Thank God once you were slaves of sin, but now you wholeheartedly obey this teaching we have given you. Now you are free from your slavery to sin and you have become slaves to righteous living. Because of the weakness of your human nature, I'm using the illustration of slavery to help you understand all this. Previously, you let yourselves be slaves to impurity and lawlessness, which led ever deeper into sin. Now you must give yourselves to be slaves to righteous living so that you will become holy. When you were slaves to sin, you were free from the obligation to do right. And what was the result? You are now ashamed of the things you used to do, things that end in eternal doom. But now you are free from the power of sin and have become slaves of God. Now you do those things that lead to holiness and result in eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. Man, that's some good stuff right there. There's so much, this is one chapter of the Bible and there's so much. I I think to myself, if, if new believers would spend a month reading that chapter every single day, what would their life look like at the end of that month? How much would they recognize who they are? They wouldn't even look like the same person at the end of that month. They would look so different. And they would realize what Jesus has actually done for them and who they are in Christ and who he is in them. Amen. And maybe some of us, maybe we've been Christians for a while, but maybe we need to take a month, maybe just a week, whatever, and read Romans chapter six every single day and absorb it until that word just becomes, you know, who you are. Because in Christ, we are royalty. Our identity is in Christ, him and us us in him. And as we scour the word of God for who we are, we have to actually understand that we are none of that. None of that is true apart from him. All right. We're only that in him and him in us. Plainly spoken, you and I are nothing outside of Christ. And it's in this place of humility that we rise to all we are in him. What he says about us and who we are actually becomes a reality in us and manifested through us. 
James 4.10 says, Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up in honor. I think in the Amplified Classic, it reads, Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he will exalt you and make your lives significant. I love that. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord, and he will exalt you and make your life significant. See, that's where a life of honor, that's where a life of usefulness and a life of purpose comes in. When we realize apart from Christ Jesus, that's what he said in John 15, 5, apart from me, you can do nothing. Sure, people in the world accomplish a whole lot of things. I mean, when, when you stop and look at it, but it's nothing that lasts for eternity. It will all burn up as well as they will if they're not born again. And there are many Christians that won't burn up. They'll go to heaven. But everything they've done will burn up, will not stand the test of fire that comes for the works. Because they might have done good works, but they didn't do God works. They did not do what God had assigned. They didn't find out who they were, what they had, and what they could do and what the Lord wanted them to do. Apart from me, Jesus says, you can do nothing. A life of significance is found in him. And when we actually recognize that, when we recognize that we're nothing outside of Christ, it's in that place of humility that we actually rise to all we are in him. It, it's a place of utter and complete trust and rest in him. If you think you are somebody, you will fall to a nobody. But if you recognize you're a nobody apart from Christ, he'll make you a somebody. Let me say that again. If you think you are somebody, you will fall to a nobody. But if you recognize you are a nobody apart from Christ, he will make you a somebody. That's where significance in life comes. That's where honor comes. Promotion doesn't come from the east the West or the South promotion comes from the Lord. Honor comes from the Lord. When we are humbled, then God will exalt us in due time and just the right season. When everything is ready and most especially when we're ready. Many times when we think we're ready, we are not ready. And many times when we think we are ready is when God says, now it's time for promotion. But you've got to recognize who you are. Who you are. You know, I've always loved this this has always been something, the contrast between King Saul and King David in, in Israel. So King Saul became the first king, the first human king in Israel. It was not God's will for Israel to have a human king because he was their king. And he wanted to be their king, but they wouldn't acknowledge him as that. So he gave them what they asked for, even though it wasn't his will. And it would seem at first sight of, of Saul, it even said about him that he was humble, that he was a good looking man, you know, well respected and everything else. But it did not take him long for him to lose all of that and just begin to totally rely on himself. And God removed his spirit from him. And then he says about David, I found a man after my own heart and he will do everything I tell him and appoint him to do. And yet... Others around David they didn't like him. I mean, his brothers were like, oh, who do you think you are? You just come up here because you wanted to see what was going on on the battle. You want, no, right? 
They, most people around him didn't even know what to do with David because he was he was confident because his confidence was in the Lord. He'd spent a lot of days and a lot of nights out in the middle of the fields with his father's sheep, tending to them, worshiping the Lord with instruments that he had made with his own hands and getting to know God Almighty. His confidence, which to some that didn't recognize, they thought it was arrogance and pride, but it was not. It was confidence in Christ. It was, and it wasn't even, it was just confidence in God. But I mean, we see a multitude of Psalms where, where David himself prophesies about the coming Christ. Amen. And so he knew God. And God said of him, I found a man who's after my own heart and he will do everything I tell him to do. Amen. And we know that David had some faults. We, we see it. They're very glaring. I mean, I want you to stop and think if God wrote a book or more than one book, because there's more than one book that covers a lot of David's life of your and my life, we would be embarrassed. <laughs> David didn't have a say in the matter, right? <laughs> And so we can, we can look at his human faults for sure. But man, he had confidence in God. He knew his God and he knew who God was in him and he knew who he was in God. And that is when God can use us and when our life can become significant for God. And in this world around us where we can make a difference in other people's lives, not in arrogance and not in pride, but in confidence. And yes, many people will take that confidence and say, you're arrogant. Ask me how I know. And because of that, then the enemy will try to creep in there and try to steal and destroy your identity because many, many times that's what he's done for me. And this last time I was done, I, I, you will not do that to me again. Try it again, buddy. Just try it one more time. You old stinking, ugly devil. You try it one more time. And you're going to see it ain't going to work this time. And it ain't going to work the next time. And it ain't going to work however many more times you try it because I know and ain't nobody going to convince me otherwise. Amen. And you and I have to get to that place where it's utter and complete trust and rest in him. It doesn't matter what anybody else says. It doesn't matter what anybody else thinks. It's not up to them. It is not up to them. It is up to God. And we need to get acquainted with ourselves. And the only way we can get acquainted with ourselves is to get acquainted with God. And the only way we can get truly acquainted with God and ourselves is in his word. And it's like a mirror as we read that thing and we find out who he is. It's reflected back to us who we are, what we have and what we can do and what we are called to do. Amen. In the book of John, the gospel, of John chapter one, it says to all who believed and received Jesus, he gave power. He gives power to all who will believe and receive him to become children of God. We can't just become children of God because we want to. It's we're given the power to become children of God when we believe and receive Jesus. See, we're nothing apart from him. Nothing. We're nothing and we can do nothing apart from him. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, it says, We're nothing but common clay jars that house an exceeding great power, and that power is God. 
We're just common clay jars, but man, that common clay jar houses some power, but it ain't our power. It's his power. Amen. Come on now. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And even we're instructed in Philippians chapter two to work out our salvation daily. But even in working it out, the passage goes on to say, it's actually his strength that is working in us to work out our salvation. See, it's the most supernatural thing when we recognize that we're nothing apart from him and we can do nothing apart from him. Yeah, you can rack up accolades on the accolades on this earth and the praises of man. You can rack up a pretty hefty bank account and all kinds of credits to your name on this earth. But what does it profit a man to gain the world and yet lose his life? In Ephesians 6, it says, you can actually only be, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Our strength, he alone is our strength. We can't even be strong in ourselves. Though we're weak, he is, when we're weak, he's strong. Let the weak say, I'm strong. Why? In ourselves? No, in him. Be strong in the Lord. That's when we're strong, when we're in the Lord. In the power of his might, not our might. Not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Right? It's the power of his might, not ours. We've got none. If you remove Jesus from, from the equation, you or I as human beings would never never, ever, ever be able to, to conquer the devil. Never. We wouldn't be able to do it. That's why Jesus had to come. If you remove Jesus from the equation, you or I, no human being would ever be able to conquer the devil. Only one could, and that was God. And he came in this earth in his son, Jesus Christ. And Jesus conquered the devil. And because he did, we have. Amen. And we get to spend our lives on this earth as Christians appropriating the butt whooping that Jesus put on the devil. That's the reality of it. But it's in his strength. It's his might, the power of his might. Right. It's all dependent upon him. It's all dependent upon him. I, I've got 25 truths here about who you are that I'm just going to spit off here real quick with um, scripture references. I'm not going to read them. I'll just give the references. These are just 25, and there's so much more that you can find in the Word. I, I could probably rattle off 20, 25 more, maybe even more than that off the top of my head. But I'm going to give you 25 because this is important for us to understand. Who are you? And you need to know who you are. It is worth taking the time to acquaint yourself with yourself in the word of God. One, you are chosen. You are chosen. John 15, 16. And it doesn't matter who rejected you because the most important one chose you. Come on now. See, we, we got we to gotta change our perspective. It doesn't matter who rejected you because the most important one chose you. You are chosen. John 15, 16. You are forgiven. Ephesians 4, 32. You are a new person. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. You're not a patched up, fixed up, band-aided up, glued up, um, 
you know, uh, old version of you. You are a brand new person. 2 Corinthians 5.17. Number four, the old you is dead. The old you is dead. Therefore, the old you has no say in your new life. <laughs> Come on. The old you is dead. Therefore, the old you has no say in your new life. Romans 6, verses 4, 6, and 8. Number five, you have power over sin. Romans 6, 10 and 11, and 17 and 18. You have power over sin. Number six, Christ lives in you. Galatians 2.20. Christ lives in you. Therefore, what he wouldn't do, you don't do either. And whatever couldn't um, reside in him can't reside in you. Come on. Christ lives in you. Galatians 2.20. Therefore, what he wouldn't do, you don't either. And whatever couldn't reside in him can't reside in you. Number seven, you are the righteousness of God, meaning you are in right standing with God. Second Corinthians 5.21. Number eight, you are healed. First Peter 2.24 and Psalm 103.3. Number nine, your youth is renewed like the eagles. Psalm 103, verse 5. Number 10, you are full of vitality. Psalm 92, 14. Number 11, you have a sound, well-balanced mind. 2 Timothy 1, 7. Number 12, you have the mind of Christ. 1 Corinthians 2, 16. Number 13, you are not alone. Let me say that again, because a lot of people feel alone in today's world. But number 13 is you are not alone. Deuteronomy 31, 8 and Matthew 28, 20. Number 14, you have strength for all things. You can do all things. Philippians 4, 13. Number 15, you are equipped for everything God has for you. Let me say that again. You are equipped for everything God has for you. Hebrews 13, 20 and 21. Number 16, you are anointed. 1 John 2, verses 20 and 27. Number 17, you have power. 2 Timothy 1, 7 and Acts 1, 8. Number 18, you have authority over all the power of the enemy. Luke 10, 19. Number 19. You have victory. Romans 8, 37. Number 20. You have faith. Romans 12, 3. Number 21. You have purpose. Ephesians 2, 10. Number 22. Your words have power. Proverbs 18.21 and 2 Corinthians 4.13. Number 23, you have power to prosper and create wealth. Deuteronomy 8.18. Number 24, you have favor. Psalm 5.12. And number 25, you are blessed. Proverbs 3.33, Proverbs 10.6, Psalm 1.1. 1, 1. 
And there's actually several other scripture references. You could use in all 25 of those points um, that I gave you, but I just gave you a few of them. But that's 25 truths about who you are in Christ. And if you'll acquaint yourself, just take those 25 and acquaint yourself with yourself. And if you really begin to see who you are, just according to those 25 truths, and there's so much more about who you are, what you have, and what you can and are called to do. But if you'll see yourself as who you are in just those 25 things, it won't be long and you'll start acting like who you are. And your identity will become very apparent in the way you live, what you do, how you talk, how you dress, who you hang with, what you acquire, how you spend your money, and how you spend your time. So who are you? It's time that you find out who you are. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you that you show us in your word who we are, what we have, and what we're called to do. I pray, Father, for every person that listens to this podcast that there would be a light bulb that would come on, that they would begin to see in a much brighter perspective of who they are in you and who you are in them, that they won't waste one more day on the lies of the devil trying to tell them that who they're not and what they can't do and what they don't have, but instead they'll focus on what your word says, who they are, what they can do, and what they have in Christ Jesus. I give you glory and thank you, Father, for every one of them, and we thank you for your word. We thank you for your life. We thank you that it's an abundant life, that it's an eternal life. We thank you, Lord, that we can be strong in you and in the power of your might. And thanks be to you, God, who always leads us in triumph in Christ Jesus. And thank you that we can renew our mind daily to who we are and what we're called to do and what we have in you, Christ Jesus. And it's in your name I pray. Amen. Well, bless you. I'll see you on Friday.